Hello, this is the Podgoblin's Hat, a podcast about the Moomins. This is episode five, which is about long winter sleeps, golden butterflies, and a boat called Adventure. I'm Dave, a person who has worn a lot of hats, but has never been transformed by one. I'm Nina, a person who enjoys a good storm, even if it does bring destruction in its wake. And we're reading all the way through Tuve Janssen's Moomin's books together. It's the first time for me. Whereas if I wrote my memoirs, the Moomin's would be featured pretty regularly. We're starting by reading the storybooks for children in order of publication, and eventually we will cover all of Tuve Janssen's Moomin stories. This week we're reading Finn Family Moomin Troll Part 1. We're going up to and including Chapter 3. We've both got editions that have been translated by the same person. It's still Elizabeth Porch. But they're slightly different. Like mine has a letter that yours doesn't, but yours has a fold-out map, whereas mine is only a one-page map. Your one has the front cover that my childhood copy had. It's really nice. Yeah, it's a really great front cover. I missed that front cover reading this kind of new version. So it's got Moomin Papa wearing the hobgoblin's hat it's got moomin troll and the snork maiden riding their little cloud dodgems it's got snuffkin in a tree playing the flute and some hattie fatners right and it's in color it's in like full color these more modern versions are going with this more modern approach of having each book have one base color with a kind of black and white picture on the front which i I think is a real shame really because even though tuve's illustrations within the moomin books they're always black and white she really loved colors And so the front covers and the picture books show that really well. And these more modern editions take away that that sense of colour. This sort of edition is really lovely. And I think you're right. I think it's a copy of what they would have looked like when they originally came out. These are very beautiful. It's maybe worth spending a bit of money on your Moomin books is what we're coming to. Shall we announce our themes that we're reading through this time? Yeah, although, because you said announce, I feel like we should have like a big bell and be like going, hear ye, hear ye, (laughs) these are our themes this week. What are our themes? Our theme for all the books will be relationships, but our theme for this book is alchemy. Which I do love. I used to think of like creativity and writing and stuff like that as alchemy and I used to kind of describe the kind of work I used to want to make as being the alchemy of every day taking the everyday and then transforming it which this book is all about this book actually has an object which does that for you although the settings on it seem to be quite random (laughs) so this book is called Finn Family Moomin Troll which you and I both think is a bad title and it would be better called something like The Moomins and the Hat which is what it was called in Finnish this book has a prologue which the previous two have not had and in that prologue everybody settles down to sleep for the winter and then the book starts proper in spring 
Snufkin and Moomin Troll are the first ones up. It's a fine day, Snufkin's playing a song. They've got rope ladders down from their bedroom windows because it takes so long to walk down the stairs. So they spend a bit of one-on-one time and then they call Sniff up. Sniff always wants to sleep one week longer than everybody else, so he's a little bit grumpy and his ears are a bit rumpled from sleep, but they tell him not to be grumpy and to come along. They decide to go up the mountain to build a cairn to show that they were there first, but it turns out they were not there first because somebody has already been and put a hat up there. The hat is kind of a top hat, very much like a magician's hat. It's suggested that maybe Snufkin could wear it, but Snufkin is very attached to the hat he already has. No new clothes for Snufkin. But they decide to bring it home. They think maybe Moomin Papa would like it. He tries it on, he looks in the mirror, he asks Moomin Mama what she thinks, and she very diplomatically suggests that hats don't suit everyone. Harsh buzzkill hat (laughs) attitude that Moomin Mama has. So he takes it off and they decide to use it as a waste paper basket. And they have eggs for breakfast. They put the eggshells into the waste paper basket or the hat. And then we get an explanation of how the hat works. Everything that goes into the hat comes out in a different form. And the eggshells stay white, but they get light and fluffy. And they float out of the hat, down the front steps and into the garden where the children are playing. Like fluffy dodgem cars. Everybody works out how to use them, you have a bit of a play, and then the Snork Maiden and Moomin Troll go off together on their little romantic ride to find the Hemulin. Very kind of reminiscent of the Aladdin and Jasmine yes. magic carpet ride. They find the Hemulin who's also up, and he has finished his stamp collection, and he's really sad. Because there's nothing left to strive for. When you're done collecting, when you're a really good collector, what happens is you just become an owner. And that is nothing like as fun. So Snork Maiden and Moomin Troll try to think of something else for him to collect. He shoots down all their ideas to start with, and then they see the first butterfly of the season. The first butterfly is an omen, and yellow would be a good omen, but gold is even better than yellow, and this butterfly is golden. So they go back to the Hemulin and suggest that he does nature study. He loves this idea. He identifies a flower right away. Specifically, he loves the idea of looking at plants. He does not like the idea of looking at butterflies or insects because another Hemulin does that, who we've met in Comet and Moominland, of course. And then there's a time slip. Like Suddenly we're in summer and we're playing a game of hide-and-seek and Moomin Troll hides in the hat during hide-and-seek. And then the hat transforms him in a very specific way that it doesn't seem to have transformed anything else. It makes everything about him the opposite of what it was. So instead of being fat, he's thin. And instead of being short, he's tall. And instead of friendly little eyes, he's got big, horrible eyes. But he doesn't realise that he's been transformed. So everybody's looking for him. Basically, he's one hide-and-seek. He steps out of his hiding place. He goes, here I am. And they're all like, who on earth are you? And he thinks, oh, we're playing a fun new game. So he goes, I'm the king of California. Who are you? And then they say their real names. And he's like, these guys are not very good at playing make-believe. They start talking about him as if he's not there, because obviously for them, he isn't there. And that's kind of uncomfortable, even when they're saying nice things. So then he sort of tries to temper that by going, oh, Moomin Troll's not that great. And they're like, don't be horrible about our friend. We don't want to play with you. It sours quite quickly. Eventually, Moomin Mama comes out to see what all the fuss is about. And the other children are like, there's this imposter, the King of California, and he's done something to our dear friend Moomin Troll. And Moomin Troll says, it's me, it's me, Mama. Don't you know me? And she's like, 
Yes, I do. Crucially, Moomintrol's at the bottom of a pile of all of the other kids who are beating him up. Oh, yeah, they did, like, physically assault him. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense. It's one of those things where it's like, yes, they're being loyal to Moomintrol, but Moomintrol is getting the brunt of that, that loyalty yeah. physically. <laughs> kind of an, an interesting <laughs> dynamic, I think. It's a very interesting bit in the book because on one hand it's part of that fantasy of everyone insecure is to hear what people say about you when you're not there yeah and they are saying nice things but it's not a nice experience (laughs) no but anyway the magic of a mother's love saves him once she knows him he's able to transform back snort maiden of course did not recognize him mama's love did but straight up heterosexual love couldn't work it out it's because the Snork Maiden is so attached to Moomin Troll's physical presentation. Indeed. He's got such a nice little thin tail and such friendly little eyes that she cannot imagine that he would look so hideous. Like, it's a lot about beauty politics, this bit as well. One of the things that this book does is use the word ugly. I'm not a fan mm. of the word ugly. Ugliness is still at a level that it's okay for everybody yeah. to say ugly and for yeah. everyone to think ugliness is lesser. It, it would be good if kids' books didn't use that word yeah. and didn't encourage the thinking around it. But they do a lot. I mean, it is very classic. It's very Roald dull. It's the twits. It's, you know, yeah. like... It's even fairy stories, isn't it? Fairy tales are all about ugliness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And disability sort of gets thrown in there as well with ugliness and mixed up together. Right. Ugliness is also very, yeah, it's connected to disability. It's also connected to like fatness. It's also connected to like race. Wealth. How you conform or don't conform to gender stereotypes or ideas. All of those things are wrapped up, but ugly is still a socially acceptable term. No, it is a problem. And that is a very interesting part of the book. So now they've worked out that that's probably how the clouds happened, is that something got put in the hat and something different came out the hat. So they decide to do an experiment. And this is also quite a cruel experiment. To be fair, it is Snork and Moomin who decide this together. It's a kind of rare moment when those two characters have a relationship moment together. Yeah. I think it's like Moomin Troll's adventurousness and Snork's like analytical nature. Yeah. When combined together, create horrible experiments. <laughs> so what they decide to do is they're going to capture the antlion who you might remember from the Moomins and the Great Flood. Right. So they're picking a previously established adversary slash enemy. Yes. Another one that is mentioned, though, is the pig swine. But there's not been any mention of the pig swine previously, right? No, no. They say the the pig swine's too big. That's all we really know about the pig swine. <laughs> but but I'm fascinated now with the pig swine. Like I really want to know. Let's stay on pig swine watch. Clearly, the ant lion is a good size to put in the hat, and they capture him in this sort of brer rabbit esque way. Yeah, it's very Br'er Rabbit or a Nancy. So they basically challenge him to a test of speed and strength. They bury the jar that they want to catch him in in the sand and then they suggest that he dig himself down into the sand really quickly and right there. It's a high-risk plan because 
the antlion's objective is to eat them. Yeah, but also he's small enough to fit into a jar they've carried. Can he really eat them? This is an ongoing problem in the Moomins, is relative size. Is it either a problem or a deliberate (laughs) challenge to our kind of normative ideas of size? They catch him in the jar, they put the lid on, they bring it back, tip the jar out into the hat all the sand and the antlion, and then they put the dictionary on top of the hat to stop anything scary from escaping, and then everybody hides and waits to see what happens. And crucially, that dictionary is not just any old dictionary. It's a dictionary of outlandish words. And the outlandish words dribble out of the dictionary and into the hat, and then they come out as little creatures that are outlandish words. As a dyslexic, I can really relate to the idea of like the hard words becoming strange little creatures that you can't quite read and they move around and you don't know what they're doing. The next thing that comes out of the hat is a lot of water. Loads. So much, much more water than there was sand. So there's not much in terms of conservation of mass either. The hat does not in any way obey the laws of physics. No. Poor Antlion. He comes out as a hedgehog, a little wet hedgehog. Moomin Troll kind of had some logic to it. Yeah, it did. When he changed. But the clouds are much bigger than the eggshells. Yeah. Although it kind of makes some sense because egg white becomes meringue. Yeah. The words change into creatures, but the paper doesn't. No, the paper just like, gets wet. What happens to the book? You know, like exactly. <laughs> so, so it's almost like this hat is magical. So, understandably, after this happens, the Moomin parents decide that the hat is dangerous, and then, less understandably, they decide to dump the hazardous waste in the river. This doesn't sit right with Snuffkin or Moomin troll. So, Snuffkin goes out that night and discovers that the hat has sort of drifted onto a sandbank further down the river. And then he does a faint whistle, which means secrets, underneath Moomin Troll's bedroom window at night. Snufkin invites Moomin Troll on a mission to rescue the hat. It's the first time that Moomin Troll has been invited to join Snufkin's night wandering. Snufkin goes night wandering quite a lot, but always alone. So that's exciting. I guess we're going to comment on the kind of inherent queerness of the relationship between Moomin Troll and Snufkin. Yeah. It's also about the relationship between extroverts and introverts Mm -hmm. and how extroverts always feel like what is going on in the secret world of the introvert and they want to be part (laughs) of that world. They're keeping it very quiet. Moomin Troll also says it's his first time doing something they can't tell Moomin Mama and Moomin Papa about. So that's also exciting. Yep. Also, it's a little bit dangerous. So they get to the bit in the river where the hat is. And the hat has a red liquid flowing out of it. It looks like it's bleeding. And it's also in quite deep water. Moomin Troll's a good swimmer. Snufkin, I think, is not. Yeah, Snufkin's very happy for Moomin Troll to risk life and limb on this. Night swimming deserves a quiet night. Reminds me of kind of skinny dipping sort of things as well. It feels that way. There's a certain kind of teenage feeling, forbidden by mum. Risky, slightly exposing. Trying to get a secret thing that transforms you. Yeah. It's very easy to have a queer reading of it. It's it's not fully there, but it's so there (laughs) that it's not subtext. Still it's so much clearer. I forgot my shirt at the 
water's out, the moon is low tonight. So they managed to rescue the hat. It turns out the liquid that's flowing out of the hat is raspberry juice. It's turning the river water into raspberry juice. That suggests that there is no logic because sand becomes water, but water becomes raspberry juice. So if you left the sand in long enough, would it become raspberry juice? Or do you have to take it out and put it back in? The other books have had religious metaphors. And Mm -hmm. I think you can kind of see this as like the water into wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the Moomin world, like the hat makes water into raspberry juice that they all drink. So they managed to rescue it. They meet some birds who were originally fish. So the fish that swam inside the hat became birds. They're not very happy about it. Overall, Snufkin and Moomin Troll are very happy with the outcome of their mission. They feel they've done a good thing. They decide to hide the hat in the cave on the beach, which was discovered by Sniff at the beginning of the last book. And yet again, they're not telling Sniff. I can understand maybe why they might make that decision. Sniff would totally tell Moomin Mama. Absolutely. There's no, no, no question to me that, that telling Sniff would be a disaster. But I feel for Sniff. Yeah. So the next morning, turns out the philosopher's still living with them. Yeah, the muskrat. I'm just going to keep calling him the philosopher. I know, it's hilarious to me. <laughs> he is a muskrat and called sure. the muskrat. I just wanted to make it clear for anybody that was unfamiliar with the Moomins a little bit. That I'm calling him the wrong name. Yeah. So he's been doing some really big thinking in a hammock <laughs> and one of the hammock strings has worn through and he falls out and he is mortally wounded by this potential embarrassment because the young people could have seen him. And as a philosopher, he doesn't mind if he falls out of a hammock. He doesn't even mind if he dies, but he minds terribly if somebody sees him embarrassed. Yeah, for him, death is better than humiliation. Yep. So he's really upset. He decides to move out. He announces he's going to move to the cave and he would like everybody to bring his furniture and his food to him, please. And the Moomins are quite supportive of this. They're like, all right, then off you go. See you later. Moomin Papa, when he witnesses the humiliation of the muskrat, he is watering the tobacco plants. Yes, he is. So they're they're self-sufficient in their smoking. Also, tobacco is a very beautiful ornamental plant. Like, plenty of people grow them. Not to smoke. I think you'd have to grow quite a lot to have enough to smoke and to look pretty in the garden. I mean, only Moomin Papa and Snufkin smoke. They could be self-supplying, totally. Moomin Mama feels like a change that day. And what that looks like for Moomin Mama is really exhaustive packing lists and getting everything together. They decide to go for an adventure. So they pack up the lunch. They pack up everything else. Moomin Mama packs for everybody. Moomin Papa packs his pipe and his fishing rod. And then he goes, have you got everything? This is a really good example of a moment where Moomin Mama is quite hypocritical because she says to everybody, pack everything quickly. And yeah. then she proceeds to pack everything and take a long time herself. <laughs> You could also read that as like, dad looks after dad and mum looks after everybody else. There's that too. My notes have put it as stark contrast in parental preparations. On their way to the beach, a wild monster appears. No, it's not a monster. It's just the philosopher, but he's terrified out of his mind and he runs past them screaming. We never find out why. There's a footnote that says, if you want to know what scared the muskrat, ask your mama, she'll probably know. We don't know. But maybe our mamas do. It's an interesting thing 
to put into the <laughs> responsibility of the mama of the house, of the people who are reading it. Yes. I guess it allows the parent to be as scary or not scary as the child can deal with. Yeah. Which is actually a very consensual, sensible way of creating that. Although in some ways I think it's scarier if you don't know. So there are some clues. Snufkin and Moomin Troll go and check out the cave and there are strange paw prints which definitely do not belong to the philosopher slash muskrat. They don't seem to feel too bad about it though, to be honest. The party of Moomins find a boat, they christen it, but they haven't got anything to christen it with. But Snufkin and Moomin Troll remember the trick about turning water into raspberry juice, so they just get some pots and pans, fill it with seawater, run into the cave turn it into raspberry juice inside the hat, which is still stashed there. Do you think seawater raspberry juice is sweeter because it's got salt in it and salt changes it to sugar? Maybe. It's as good a hypothesis as any. They smash one bottle over the side of the boat, which has been christened The Adventure by Moomin Mama. Other people have come up with other names for the boat and they were not as good as Moomin Mama's name. This is definitely a moment where she's chosen this adventure. She's chosen the name of the boat. She is pushing for her preferences and wants. Yes. She is not the one providing the experience. She is the one seeking the experience. Yes, and she's having a good time. They sail out, they decide to find an island, and they do. It happens to be the Hattie Fattener's Lonely Island, but they don't know that yet. The Moomin parents decide to set up camp to have lunch. The children all decide to go off exploring, and Hemulin finds a barometer, and it's up on a pole, and he taps it, and it wobbles a bit and sort of like sinks down the pole, and then suddenly he finds himself surrounded by Hattie Fattener's, and they're sort of shaking in a mildly disapproving manner and encircling him until he can't see any means of escape and the only thing he can do is climb up the pole and as he climbs up the pole they sort of swarm around him even closer so he can't climb down the pole he starts calling out for help and this kind of moment is obviously very influenced by colonialist texts kind of like we've mentioned in the past yeah the Hattie Fatners kind of almost worship the barometer like a god yeah and like what the Hemulin does to escape from the Hattie Fatners is climb up their god and like really bug them yeah because he's sort of bothering them like they weren't doing anything to him yeah in a colonialist story they would be the natives in inverted commas yeah that were ignorant and didn't understand. And it's almost like one of those moments when white people got put in fictional pots that would never happened to be boiled by the natives. But there's an interesting twist on that, I think. There is. And also the Hattie Fatners are not hurting anybody. They're absolutely just trying to do their big Hattie Fatner convention that they do where they all gather together before they go off. They're all gathering from all over the world. They're trying to do, you know, something culturally important to them. And Hermulin has wandered into the middle of it and tapped their important object and then climbed it. Which is a barometer, which I actually have brought. I have a barometer in my hand. We're doing some show and tell, listener. Dave is holding up a large barometer. I got it from my gran. So it was probably from my granddad, who was posh. I had it over in the corner of the room and then managed to drop it just before we started recording. (laughs) It now has more cracks in it than it did before, but it does seem to still be working. Is it predicting a storm? It is saying fair weather. Okay. Its small hand is on change. Oh. 
different weather could come. So it does the temperature. Does it do the pressure? And there's numbers on it. So I'm assuming that's probably something to do with the pressure. If you're not familiar with what a barometer is, that's what it is. It's got a face like a clock. Yeah. But the hands indicate pressure and point at different kinds of weather around a dial. They were invented in the 1600s, so they've been around since then. They're very much something that I guess people would have known about very clearly when this book was written. In the 1960s. But is really kind of unfamiliar to modern readers, I think. So the rescue happens because Sofkin hears him and sort of comes up to the edge of the clearing and they start shouting to each other, which doesn't attract the attention of the Hattie Fatners because they can't hear. Snufkin has an idea inspired by what Moomin Papa did to get rodents out of the lawn, which is he stuck loads of little... They're like those little paper windmills that you would play with as a child. They generate vibrations when they're turning and the vibrations shake the ground and presumably that frightens the rodents away. This is kind of a within-the-books moment of what would Snufkin do. Like, what would Snufkin do if a hemulin was trapped at the top of a pole clinging onto a barometer, he would tell a story. Yeah. And the Hemulin even complains about this and says, I do like your stories, but how am I getting <laughs> down from here? And Snufkin's like, think about the story. It's got the answer in it, but I'll spell it out for you if I must. So he suggests that the Hemulin shake on top of the pole, which causes the pole to vibrate, which gives the Hattie Fatteners a kind of sick feeling in their stomachs and they disperse some of them brushing against Snufkin and that sort of feels like stinging nettles. More on that in the next episode, listeners. The Hemulin notably decides to steal the barometer. Like many colonial people before him. Yeah. He's got no reason to be angry with them. They were just living their life. But he steals their barometer and feels very pleased with himself for doing so. This is like the worst moment in the book for the Hemulin. In a book where, in the second half, there'll be some very positive Hemulin moments. So, consequences come for the actions of the Hemulin really quickly, if you want to read it that way. Everybody reconvenes for dinner, and a storm comes. The barometer shows zero zero, which is very low pressure. There's thunder, there's lightning, there's rain, there's white seahorses, and Snufkin gets his I need to go out and be alone feeling. So he announces that he's going to go out and look at the sea from the top of the cliff. And on top of the cliff, he sees a small black rider on something black, like a horse with short legs. The rider's cloak billowed out like a wing. I have seen the hobgoblin, thought Snufkin. It must have been the hobgoblin and his black panther. So, right at the end of the first half of the book, we have a sighting of the Hobgoblin. Snufkin goes back to camp, decides not to tell anyone what he's seen, because everybody's already really frightened. There's kind of like a golden haze is the omen for the storm, which kind of recalls the golden butterfly earlier on. And the alchemy theme. And something that we didn't say that might be worth flagging up in that last part of the synopsis is that Mumi Mama clearly desires peace. And her idea <laughs> is to come out to the island and send everybody else away. <laughs> it's quite funny because there's another one of those moments where after she's done the setting up of everything, Moomin Troll 
wait till then to say, can we help you with anything? Yeah, so Moomin Troll gets what he wants, but Moomin Mama is getting what she wants, which yeah. is everybody to go away. And she wants peace. There's a lot of bits in this whole book of both her and Moomin Papa and the Muskrat as well, and the Hemulin, all of the more adult characters yeah. who are finding it very unpeaceful to have so many children playing <laughs> in a house with extra magical elements to their play. So it's it's very much a book about adults looking for peace by sending their kids to different places yeah the original finnish or swedish version calls the hobgoblin troll carlin you might be like oh troll that's going to have something in relation to moomin troll but i think the specific translation is magician right and that's okay. what troll carlin means but in our version it's hobgoblin and hobgoblins are in our tradition kinds of elves the small elves not the big Tolkien elves, the yeah. small elves like brownies. They do odd jobs round the house. That's interesting. Which is interesting because the hobgoblin's hat kind of does little magics round the house. Famous hobgoblins throughout literature. Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream is a hobgoblin. Yeah. Then slip I from her bum, down tumbles she and Taylor cries and falls into a cough. So mischievous spirits is the main thing. Then you've of course got very later, Marvel's Hobgoblin villain, who I think feels a lot more like the way that the Hobgoblin is presented in these books. Name's Hobgoblin, and you're right on time for your funeral. Well, so that was a supervillain entrance, right? Yeah. Flying in on his panther through the storm with his billowing cloak. I know, he does seem very supervillain. But the question is, is the Hobgoblin in appearance more like the Marvel Hobgoblin, but in his heart more like the Puck? That's the question. And whether that's something that is part of our text, but not part of their text. Yeah, if that was added by the translator. If it was added by the translator, it's a good addition. Good one, Elizabeth Porch. If we shadows have offended, think but this and all is mended, that you have but slumbered here while these visions did appear. And this weak and idle theme, no more yielding but a dream. Gentles, do not reprehend. If you pardon, we will mend. I guess another thing we should address here is the name of the book, Finn Family Moomin Troll. What's your opinion on it? Entirely irrelevant to the story. I mean, I can see it's a marketing gimmick, right? Because it's to go with, you know, Swiss Family Robinson, Finn Family Moomin Troll. Yeah. I get it, but it's not great. Swiss Family Robinson was published in 1812, so it's the kind of book that may have influenced Tuve. But the Swiss Family Robinson is about a Swiss family who are shipwrecked in the East Indies. I use inverted commas for that place does not exist. And it's an island. But this book is not about being on the lonely island the whole time. I don't don't think it's a good name no call it the moomins and the hat my book starts before the prologue with a letter from moomin mama to the child reading it and it's been written for the translation it's english that is obviously not by somebody that speaks english as their first language and it's also got lots of crossings out in it and it's written in the kind of handwriting that is both very charming but also really hard to read this is how I like to write when I was about seven or eight. Yeah, it really looks like that. It's got stars and flowers. 
curly bits. And squiggles. It talks a lot about hibernation and how it's a shame we don't hibernate properly. And, and there's a picture drawn by Moomin Mama of a common troll who has a tail quite like the one that Moomin Troll gets when he's transformed. Like it's a long bushy tail rather than their nice little ones. And we also get an answer to a question that we asked when we knew that the snork objected to some colours of exercise book because they reminded him of school. We have an answer. Moomin Mama does a PS. Please excuse my rotten English. You see, Moomins go to school only as long as it amuses them. We should explain alchemy. Alchemy was a form of magical science which aimed to transform lead into gold. It wasn't the only thing that alchemists wanted to transform, but it's the most famous. It's also an ideology that's a lot about progress, betterment, the perfectibility of man. It's a lot about the study of the world and also the betterment of the world. Alchemy was a very hopeful form of science or magic, whichever you want to call it. Some of us consider kind of science and magic to kind of be the same thing. Yeah, and certainly alchemists did. So we've got a lot of gold moments in this book. That's right. Golden butterfly, golden haze in the sky. So in terms of transformations... What do we think happened to Moomin Papa's brain when he briefly wore the hat? I don't know. He gets a headache. Yeah. Moomin Papa in this book, one of the big themes is he's writing his memoirs. Yeah. And the next book in the sequence will be his memoirs. (laughs) So I guess one thing you could say is if in the past he's always been like, I'm never going to get around to finishing my memoirs. We know that by the next book, he will have done it. Yeah. So maybe what happens to his brain is that the Hobgoblin's hat gives him the power. The focus. Yeah, to write them. Maybe. Isn't all writing like alchemy, right? Absolutely. This is a book very much about change and transformation. Mm-hmm. Water into raspberry juice, antlions into hedgehogs, but also seasons into different seasons. There's also these kind of transformations of friendships, of spending time with different people and how that can change you. And there is a critique of the idea of perfectibility. So when we look at the Hemulin after he's woken up after his winter sleep and he's got all the stamps that he could possibly want, he doesn't feel happy that he's achieved the perfect collection. Reaching the pinnacle of anything isn't actually a very happy end and it isn't actually very fulfilling to him. You know, you could say he has created the most perfect, the gold standard of stamp collections... And Snork Maiden does say that to him, isn't it lovely to have all of them? But it doesn't make him happy. What makes him happy is a whole new project. It's the quest. It's the process. It's transforming from a philatelist to a botanist. Right. I'm a very product-orientated creator, Mm -hmm. but even I can understand the existential angst that the Hemelin feels at reaching the end. You could say I was very much in that kind of way of thinking the last couple of years during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I have already done everything that I might want. And what further is there to do? And then I was like, make a podcast about the Moomins with my friend Nina. (laughs) And then I created some alchemy and made that happen. And I'm much more happy now I'm on a journey. But also it's alchemized our relationship, right? It's made a change 
in what was already an established friendship. The way we interact now is quite different. We're developing and changing our friendship. And that's what the friends are doing within this as well. There's kind of quite a lot of pairing of different people at different moments. So are we coming on to the relationships part of the chat? I guess we are. I mean, there's a lot of relationship stuff in this one. There is. So shall we start with that steamy river scene? The steamy river scene. I hasten to (laughs) inform listeners that if you're actually expecting it to be steamy, it probably won't do it for you. It's not actually steamy. What it is, I think, is highly suggestive if you're looking for that, which I'll admit I was. Something I noticed when I was synopsisizing this first half of the book is there are many, many first times. It's the first butterfly of spring and the first meal after the winter and the first walk and the first up the mountain and then this mission to retrieve the hat from the river is something of a sea change in the relationship between Snufkin and Mimintrol. They've been friends for a long time. They shared a room all winter because Sniff snores. But that's not really the reason. No, it's not really the reason. Because he really wants to be with Snufkin. Yeah. It's relevant, I don't know, to the parallels that I'm drawing here and to the queer meaning I may be reading into this. They're both boys. They're out at night on their own without the knowledge of their parents. They're doing something exciting. They're doing something secret, transformative. Night swimming deserves a quiet night. I'm not sure all these people understand. There's a lovely consent moment that I wanted to read out. What about it? asked Snufkin's eyebrows. A Moomin Troll's ears waggled a big, yes. Right. Yeah. Steamy. (laughs) It's really nice. I mean, the thing about it is, is I feel conflicted about this, but it is definitely there. I think that too often people, because they're so desperate for representation, they sexualize or romanticize relationships that are friendships. Yeah. And it's not that I don't want more romance and more sex in the world. Those are cool things. But what I also want is for friendship to be equally seen as important. Yeah. And that friendship is romantic yeah and it doesn't have to be sexual so this happens concurrently to moomin troll's relationship with the snork maiden which presents externally much more like a romantic relationship they go off on their little clouds together they hold hands you know in the last book we talked about an engagement ring even what i really like about that though is that there are those two different relationships but there's no sense of like jealousy between snufkin and Snort Maiden. They both respect each other's places within Moomin Troll's heart yeah. and see them as different kinds of places. Mm-hmm. And so, as well as a queer reading, I think there's a non-monogamous reading yes. that we can do here. As preparation for this episode, I did some listening to a podcast which you recommended to me, Nina, by Queer as Fact, about the history and the life experience of Tuve. The character that Snufkin is based on was a man that she nearly married they went back and forth on it 
The other thing is that she had a relationship with a woman during that time. I don't know if that was non-monogamous officially, Mm. but it was at least overlapping. Yeah. They suggest in Queer as Fact that the relationship between Tuve and the guy that Snufkin was based on was quite open Mm. in its approach. I think with that reading, it's a very nice, consensual, beautiful articulation of what it might be like to be in a relationship with multiple people. But I think it's worth noting, having listened to Tuve's life story and having wonderful bisexuals and pansexuals and people who don't define as anything in my own life, I thought it was quite important to re-underline that although we're often going to talk about Tuve as a lesbian, and I think she did go full spook, as we've said, she may not have been. Like, she did not have a definition for herself. Certainly, she had lots of relationships with men. And so one reading you can have of Tuve's life is that she was a bisexual or a pansexual. You could. And another reading that you can also give is that she was genderqueer. And so I think that it's important to remember that all kinds of queerness can find their representation in this book. And that if you want to read the characters as bisexual or you want to read them as genderqueer or non-binary or trans or if you want to read the characters as lesbian that's all good you get to have any reading you want you could have those readings even if Tuve Janssen was super straight but definitely she wasn't so I'm gonna suggest a new semi-regular section for us today because this is something I've noticed coming up shall we have a botany corner yeah So we had the Angostura bush last week, and this time the first flower that the Hemulin sees is the Gagea lutea, which is a real flower. I think it's very interesting in terms of Christian connotations again, because its common name is the Yellow Star of Bethlehem. That is interesting. So if we're thinking about alchemy, we're thinking about magic, we're thinking about New beginnings, transformations, messages in the stars. And we know that Snufkin is the religiousest member of this family. It even says early in the book, no one knows his age or place of birth. Nobody knows how or where that happened. How did it happen? Like Jesus? Yes. And the star of Bethlehem was a miracle. Right. It was a signal for the Magi to follow. It meant... The birth of a king, it meant the birth right. of hope. And it's the signal for the magicians to follow, which yes. may or may not happen in this book. We haven't got to the second half, <laughs> but it's worth noting. you might like to talk about the masculinities presented in this book so far so i've got a few examples so first we've got the philosopher who is mortally wounded by embarrassment it's very like women are scared men will kill them men are scared women will laugh at them which is a margaret atwood quote for listeners he's a very interesting old-fashioned kind of masculine figure isn't he And I like how he is gently mocked in every book. Also, there is a mistake in this book, and the mistake is made by the philosopher. Yes, I got it. I spotted it. (laughs) You got it. It is, he says, wife's chocolate shape. It's the wrong flavour of cake. It was pear and lemon. Right. In my book, it says wife's chocolate shape instead of cake. 
I don't think mine does. So that is a problem in this reprint, for some reason, and not in your reprint, that it did also make me understand and like go, hang on, it wasn't just chocolate, at least. Pear and lemon. Right. So there's the mistake. I feel very pleased with myself, listeners, for for spotting the mistake. (laughs) I knew it was coming. (laughs) We can read this a few ways, right? We can say Tuve forgot what kind of cake she put in the previous book, entirely possible. But also you can say the philosopher slash muskrat was so embarrassed that he actually can't remember what what flavour of cake it was. To remember the cake correctly would be to demonstrate that you cared. Like, that's the thing. Everything's supposed to be meaningless. And therefore, he shouldn't remember things accurately because that would show that he actually cared about things. And of course, the muskrat does care about things. But his flavour of masculinity is all about, I'm above everything. I'm in my brain. What were the other flavours of masculinity that you noted? Moomin Papa, packing only for himself. And Moomin Mama, packing for the whole world. Yep. And then we've also got the Hemulin and his war trophy. Yes, colonial invasion. And while we're talking about colonialism, I should say, if I'm calling out Tuve for using the word ugly, here's another thing I'm calling her out for, for using the phrase Red Indians. It is very indicative of the time. Peter Pan's full of horrible stuff about indigenous people. Oh, Peter Pan's worse. In a way, it's admiring. It says that they climbed up the rocks like, let's say, indigenous people, because I don't want to say it again. It's still equating indigenous peoples with otherness, with having a more physical and less cerebral existence. It's still all that rubbish. It's still all that. It is. And I also have a kind of question in terms of, are the Hattie Fatners in some ways the Sami people? You know, because the Sami people would travel and have kind of indigenous customs and traditions that the other inhabitants of Finland don't understand as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's a bad form of masculinity. One of the worst colonialism. Then we've got Moomin Troll holding the Snork Maiden's hand and feeling, quote, very protective and manly. Yes, I did write that down, manly. Yeah. It's the kind of thing I see in lots of uh, Tinder profiles. Moomin Troll of all people. <laughs> but I mean, to say Moomin Troll of all people is to misrepresent Moomin Troll because Moomin Troll has consistently been like this. And to be fair, of all of these examples of, you know, like flawed masculinities, toxic masculinities, whatever you want to call them, holding someone's hand isn't a bad one. It's good to hold hands. Yeah, I guess the more binary element of this is that it has to be the girl who needs the comforting and it has to be the boy who does the protecting. You know, that's what he means by he feels manly. He feels manly because he's protecting a girl. Tuve in her life was against these things. Mm -hmm. And yet in her book, she presents these things. At times critiques them because, for example, the Hemelin, he's already got the comeuppance of the storm, but more comeuppance may or may not come to him. (laughs) So there is critique of these things, but only up to a point. I've started to write a taxonomy of whistles that appear in this book. The first whistle we encounter is three long whistles, and that means there's something doing, which I really like because it's really non-specific. <laughs> it's like something's happening, there's something to do, and it also, because you're alerting somebody else, it means you're invited. So three long whistles. A faint whistle means secrets. Yeah. And then this last one is actually in Morse code, and it's SOS. It's three short, 
three long, three short. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Found a whistle sound by the end. One thing I want to ask is... Where is the silk monkey? Where is the silk monkey? Because at the end of the last book, she was in the cave. Now, obviously, she's not come back to the Moomin house, but she must be somewhere around. And why has she just been completely discarded for this book? (laughs) I think because the cast got too big. Yeah, maybe. But then she is like the only other girl. Well, this is another problem with older children's books is if there are girls at all one girl is sufficient which is unfortunate but yes so where is the silk monkey i'm sad that she disappears and as a kid always wondered where she was yeah because this would have been one of the other books i read as a kid i missed the silk monkey and the disrespect that she has for everybody else's nonsense (laughs) and the other question that i have moomin papa says quite a few times bless my tail my question is if what One says when they are upset is, bless my tail. Does that mean that tails are Moomin's souls? Because that is the context where we would say, bless my soul. There's some more religious chat here in that they refer to the protector of all small beasts in the same way as you would refer to God. It seems like this belief system for the Moomins is very much based off of Christianity, but is not Christianity. I kind of like the protector of all small beasts more than God. It feels a bit more potentially polytheistic to me. Yeah. The protector of all small beasts implies that there'll be a protector of... The middle-sized beasts. Yeah, middle-sized beasts or forest spirits. Like each different group would have its own protector, maybe. So are there tails their souls? I mean, that would explain why you must have respect for your tail. Exactly. I think so. And also, I kind of like that. It feels a bit kind of Northern Lights, Philip pullman with like the bears having their souls be their armour and yeah. humans having their souls be their demons. But there was that bit with Sniff as well where they talked about there wasn't enough fire oil to cover the whole of him and his tail so he might survive the comet strike but his tail wouldn't and he said he'd rather die then. Right, because he would be soulless. Yeah, I think we should carry that through the rest of the books and see how tails are treated. They don't want to use them for fishing, but they don't mind using them as propellers. So maybe it's not okay to have your soul as bait, but it is okay to be driven by your soul. And so we're now into the what would Snufkin do section. And this week you've got a question, haven't you, Dave? I have got a question, yes, Nina. And it does (laughs) thematically fit. As we've said, there is a non-monogamous reading that you can have of this book. And there's a non-monogamous reading you can have of my life. And so my question for Snufkin is, how do you find people to connect with If you're non-monogamous, when the apps that are supposed to bring you closer to people are so bad at doing so. So, Snufkin would be confused by the idea of the apps. He is not alone. (laughs) Maybe Snufkin would say, stop relying on your pocket computer. Because Snufkin travels the world. And that's how Snufkin has found people to hang out with. Also... Snufkin doesn't put himself in situations that are artificial to him 
or that he doesn't enjoy. Snufkin does what he likes and invites others in. Now, obviously, that's not available to you because you live in a house, so you're not just going to run into someone other than your partner. And Snufkin doesn't fully commit to people, which is not to say he doesn't love them. Mm. The idea of wanting to find a consistent person might be confusing to him. Yeah. Go off on your travels and you might find Moomin Troll, but then you're going to want to go off on your own, as Snufkin already is in this part of the book. The point is it doesn't seem to be a problem for Snufkin in the same way that it's a problem for you. And the way that you have relationships is different to the way Snufkin has relationships. And indeed were a human person to behave the way Snufkin does in our society, that might not land particularly well. I mean, it, it might have the same kind of effect, I think, that it has on Moomin Troll, which is that people really like him, but can't quite catch hold of him. Do you want to be caught? Do I want to be caught? Sounds fun. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I want. This is part of the thing. I, like Snufkin, want to be open to any possibility, to have organic human experiences which are hard to have on an app where most people are looking for heterosexual monogamous relationships yeah that is the essential problem is finding my people Mm. it's hard to do on an app where they don't exist they do exist but they're a very small minority well the non-monogamous people that i tend to meet tend to be people who are non-monogamous in slightly different ways than I am. So even if somebody is within the kind of area that I might be, it's still hard for me to work out if they're into me, what they want. But maybe what Snufkin would say to you, if I wasn't me giving you advice from me, (laughs) is that you're being Moomin Troll. You're being very concerned about how other people are seeing you. Like in that moment where he's transformed and he learns about how people are seeing it and that's very uncomfortable. You're focusing on how other people feel about you because you're not very comfortable, maybe, about what they might think. And you're focusing on that more than you're focusing on do you like them. Yeah, it's true. I feel like Moomin Troll in that scene very much. Like, I feel like ugly and weird and like people don't understand me and like I'm trying to express who I am but people don't quite get it yeah and so I think there is definitely that problem and I definitely am trying to learn to be more snufkin and less moving troll so maybe you should start from the assumption that you're lovable true oh that'd be nice wouldn't it but then you know (laughs) I don't know where that gets me apart from self like self happiness which is good oh it absolutely gets you somewhere in relationships because at the moment I think you're doing a lot of work worrying (laughs) and maybe that's not presenting you to your full advantage to these dates it's true although i don't i don't think present as worriedly to the dates as i do when i'm talking about the dates to you but that is (laughs) that is fair if i can channel my snufkin to give myself advice get off the apps put your tent in different places play your mouth organ see what people turn up and that is what I actually would like to do. Yeah. It's just that there is problems with doing that. Finances and work commitments make it hard to just tramp around the world and put your tent wherever you might. But it sounds like the way we were both going is that you need to be grounded in yourself rather than looking through a catalogue of other people's desires and becoming frustrated and depressed by them. <laughs> so stop looking in the catalogues. That's true. I probably won't stop using the apps because... It is my only option at the moment, but I will try to use the apps with the knowledge that they are not real. The feelings that they give me are not accurate depictions of the world. No. Thank you, Snufkin and Nina (laughs) and listeners for indulging me in this problem. (laughs) 
On this podcast, we like to recommend other stories that are in the spirit of the Moomins. And so, Nina, what is your spirit of the Moomins this week? My spirit of the Moomins this week is the book Knock Three Times by Cressida Cowell, which is the third book in her Wizards of Wands series. I recommend this in particular with this half of the book because Knock Three Times contains a very interesting body swap moment between two boy characters who are in love with the same girl character. So we've also got a bit of love triangle more than non-monogamy in this case. There's also a uncomfortable love triangle between a spoon a fork and a key. <laughs> the fork and the key are both in love with the spoon. The spoon loves both of them and feels pulled in opposite directions. And so it is with our three main characters. Zar and Bodkin both love Wish, and Wish loves them both and feels pulled in either direction. Zar and Bodkin accidentally switch bodies for a day, and each of them finally comes to a better understanding of how he comes across in the world, and also how the world is for his friend-slash-romantic rival, and they arrive to a place of greater empathy and understanding for each other after this body-swap moment. It's also just a very, very good, modern, magical children's series, if you're looking for one of those. Sounds great. I mean, I'm a fan of her books, but I haven't read that one. My Spirit of the Moomins this week, it's a TV show called Bluey, which any parent of under fives in your life is talking about Bluey. Yeah. Like they're going on about it. That's why I've watched it and it's really good. So they're right. <laughs> the reason that these parents keep talking about it is because it gives them what they need in a show as well as what their kids get. And it gives very good like little lessons about emotional maturity and development that I think could help adults as well as kids, certainly helps adults with kids. It's really delightful. It's about two girl dog children and a heterosexual parent couple. So it's got more girls than the Moomins, which is a good thing. Yep. The reason I'm recommending it in relationship to Fin Family Moomin Troll is that it's a show all about play. They take make-believe and make it really seriously done. You know it's a game. The people playing the game know it's a game. The adults treat the games with absolute respect. That's really cool. The dad is very un-Moomin Papa, as in he's hands-on, he's the main caregiver, he's the main engager with the games. The mum goes out to work, goes out running, goes and does various things, but she is also great with the kids. It's an Australian show, so it's got quite delightful voices. They're very short as well, they're kind of like six to ten minute long because they're for young children. And it's also like the Moomins got adult points. So that's my spirit of the moment. Have you got a spirit of the Pod Goblins hat? So I want to recommend the brilliant podcast, Black Men Can't Jump Brackets in Hollywood. So the concept of the show is that they are three black actors who work in Hollywood. They're not just actors, they're also writers and, and improvisers. Okay. So they're in the industry in multiple ways and they're trying to get their stuff out there to the world. And while they're doing that, they're going to analyse Hollywood movies with leading black actors and decide if those movies are helping or hindering the cause of black acting. They've got a system where it's like a palm or a fist. A fist is the best. Yeah. So they might give a black fist to a film they don't like, 
but that helped the cause. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's the lens that they are looking at it through. They start every episode with a cold open that has a general discussion about something that's thematically connected to the film that they're going to be talking about. And then one of them is going to try to bring the conversation to a point where they can naturally say the name of the film. And that will be where they go into the credits. <laughs> and so that will be more or less successful different weeks. It's quite funny. Then they will talk about where it is within the industry, like how well it did in the box office and that sort of stuff. Uh, they'll do a full synopsis of the film. They'll do a couple of little bits at the end. And then they will evaluate the film in terms of how good it is for the cause. For people who are interested in children's media, I would recommend their discussion of the Pixar film Soul, which I found really useful. And the other thing it does for you as a listener is gives you some friends to spend some time with. <laughs> That's all for episode five. But before we go, here are the tiny cliffhangers for next week's episode. Will the Hattie Fatners Get their barometer back. Will Snufkin tell Moomin Troll about the Hobgoblin and his panther? Will the Hobgoblin find either his hat or anything else that he might be searching for? Until next week, when we'll be reading the second half of Finn Family Moomin Troll, be careful what you put on your head. Bye! Bye!